Good morning. It's glad that the Lord has uh, blessed us so far. How many of you are blessed by that? I was extremely blessed by that. And uh, uh, let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for gathering us here in your house of worship. This is your house. This is not ours. But you've invited us to tabernacle with you, to meet with you, that you may share with us through music and song and giving, and even now with the word, how much you love us, how much you want to guide us, and how much you want to be in our lives. So Lord, may we all be able to carry something with us through this service that will help us through this day, this week, and this month that will help us to be more appreciative of you, more in love with you, and more aligned and in harmony with your way. Thank you for hearing. pray that you hide me behind the cross, that the words that be heard today, though you're using my voice, my mouth, that it'll be your word. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about corrupt government officials. Well, actually not. But at least there's a story that I'm going to be zeroing in on that revolves around that. Specific of a man who is extremely afraid of corrupt government officials. And he's not alone. But before we get to that story, I want to, you to think about something for a second. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? Now, I have a list to help us in this discovery. Is it the fear of failure? How about the fear of inadequacy? Has anyone had that fear? I know I have. How about the fear of being vulnerable? People finding out who you really are, discovering your shortcomings, your faults, your weaknesses. I like to hide that. Here's another one, the fear of rejection. You know, we all look for acceptance. Fearful to get rejected, especially by those you love. Here's the big one of our generation and the social media environment that we live in. The fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. That's why many log on to their social media accounts, because they don't want to miss out on what's happening on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or Insta stories. What about the fear of change? How about that one? The fear of change. The fear of losing control. The fear of being judged. The fear of something bad happening. Maybe the fear of getting hurt. What about the fear of uncertainty? I have a personal quick story on that one. When I was out Bible working in New York State, upstate New York, um, after a few years of being out there, I met uh, a young lady, a young gal named Lori. Um, and uh, became, you know, we started as friends, we became friends, we started dating. And you know how it is when you start dating, things move along. And you've got to get to the point of marriage, if that's what the Lord's guiding you into. And that was the case for me, but I kept putting it off because I had this fear of uncertainty. I was a, uh, not a certainty about the one I wanted to marry, but more about how is the Lord going to take care of me as a Bible worker being married to someone? Especially as a Bible worker, you move a lot. You know, I remember being in a store one time, somebody asked me, what do you do? I'm like a Bible worker. Like, what is that? I'm like, I guess the best example to give you is like somebody who's in the military that has to move around a lot. They're like, oh, Okay. 
But then I also share with them that it's more than that. You know, you're teaching people about the Bible, bringing them to the Lord. But anyways, so how I got through that fear of uncertainty is I prayed to the Lord. I was in the Word, and I had to have conversations. You know, and then I, through several conversations with Lori, um, I let her know this is what a Bible worker does. This is what I feel I'm called to. And she just assured me, she said, why are you worried about this? The Lord's called you to this. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you, and he'll provide for us. She goes, I'm content with being married to a Bible worker like yourself, no matter what that uh, may bring. That conversation put me at ease. It helped me get through that fear of uncertainty, and we ended up marrying. And uh, it's going to be 10 years of marriage this year, come June. And I'm still a Bible worker, and God is still taking care of us, we have two kids, and uh, the Lord has not taken any of his blessings away from us. He has blessed us, like that song that Shad was singing. He has blessed us, and he has kept us. Fear of uncertainty. Now, there's something I want to talk to you about with this fear. My title, my message is, does, does God care about your fear? Does he care about my fear? There was this um, Chapman University that provided an in-depth examination into the fears of average Americans that I found on as I was looking at a list of fears. And in July of 2019, it had a random sample of 1,219 adults from across the United States. They were asked their level of fear about 88 different types of things, including crime, the government, the environment, disasters, personal anxieties, technology, and many others. This Chapman University ended up tal- uh, tabulating all this to, top, to, to, to their top 10 highest percentage of fears that were, for, uh, that were reported by being afraid or very afraid. And it, and it is as follows. The top fear that they came up with from these 1,219 people that they surveyed, can you guess it? It wasn't spiders. It wasn't snakes. Number one fear was corrupt government officials. It came at a percentage of 77.2% of being afraid or very afraid. That's number one on the top 10 list. This was in 2019. Number two, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. That came in at number two. Number three, people I love becoming seriously ill. Number four, pollution of drinking water. People I love dying. Number five. Number six, air pollution. Seven, cyber terrorism. Eight, extinction of plant and animal species. Nine, global warming and climate change. And number 10, came in at 55.7%, was not having enough money for the future. It's very interesting that the number one fear coming in at 77% for Americans was being afraid or very afraid of corrupt government officials. The survey goes on, actually, to say that this has been the top fear for Americans for the last five years, with about an average of 10 percentage points above the number two slot. Why is this the case? Well, I believe it's simple. Government officials are lawmakers. And having corrupt government officials will produce corrupt laws that will vastly affect our livelihoods for many generations to the future. Affect your job, Maybe your faith, they come up with laws that go against your faith. How you raise your family. For us, our constitution, maybe. Our rights. Maybe your safety, protection. You name it, any of those things. 
So that's what helped me kind of understand why that would be a fear. One thing is for sure, fear can cripple you. It can keep us from living life. So this morning, we are going to look at this idea of fear. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, if you have a Bible. As you see, I don't have a PowerPoint. I just have my Bible and my notes. So if you have a Bible there, I think some of the pews may have one. 1 Kings chapter 19 is our story of a man who's afraid of corrupt government officials. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find a really, really neat story here. Here's our groundwork in setting up the story. God's people have been convinced of that all the nations around them have better ideas of governance, better ideas of living, better ideas of morality and fun and pleasure than what God had outlined for them for life and for their betterment. As a result of Israel turning their back from him, God withdraws his hand of blessing and a drought ensues, which Elijah announces to King Ahab before God hides and sustains him by the brook of Shereth and later the widow of Zarephath. After three years, Elijah reveals himself to Ahab. Now, this three years, has been drought, no rain. People have been praying. People have been trying to do different things to get that rain to come. Finally, Elijah reveals himself to Ahab, and they have a showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah on Mount Carmel. God answers in a dramatic fashion with fire from heaven, and it's an incredible victory of faith for prophet Elijah as the people see and declare that God is God, and Baal is not. Sometimes when we have a high point in life like this of Elijah, it's interesting how sometimes, for some reason or another, it is followed by going into what feels like the depths of hell. You get this high moment, it's exciting, and all of a sudden it is met, met with a low spot. This is exactly what happens for Elijah following this magnificent manifestation of the power of God, and then that's where we pick up 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. You can imagine the king, you know, this is after the fire came down, the torrential rain started coming, Elijah's running ahead of King Ahab in his chariots. King Ahab runs right into the palace. And in verse 1, notice what he says here in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had ex executed all the prophets with the sword. Now get this, these are Jezebel's prophets her staff, her people, her government officials. They've been all executed. Jezebel is not excited to hear this news from King Ahab. And so she tells, says this in verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You can tell that she is upset. She wants Elijah dead. You know, one would think that after such an experience that Elijah had on Mount Carmel, this incredible manifestation of God's power, the fire coming down, God answering his prayers, you would think that Elijah would be on this situation of thinking, man, I got power on my side. I got God on my side. I'm safe. I'm protected. God's, God's with me. But that's not what he thought, actually. What happened is what we see in verse 3. Look at verse 3. 
And when he saw that he, so when he heard of the threats, he saw that, he arose and what did he do? He ran for his life. Wow. He ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So after our, what we see here, Elijah witnessing what happened on Mount Carmel, he is terrified. He's fearful. And it's all because of the threat from Queen Jezebel that he's full of this fear and he runs for his life. And that's where our story goes. Elijah pleads with God and says, just let me die. They're out to get me. I just want to hide. My life seems like a failure. You know, I did all this for you, God, through your grace. I showed, you know, we showed the whole world that you are God. You answered my prayers. And that woman over in that palace, she wants to kill me. So just let me die. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. So this angel graciously feeds him. He goes back to sleep. The angel wakes him up again and says, Eat some more. This is a nice angel. But then we read in verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. How many of you guys have had one meal and you went for 40 days without eating after that? I think all of us would be shaking our head right now. Some of us can't even get through uh, the day without having three meals. <laughs> and he had one meal in 40 days, so this was actually uh, food from heaven. You know, I, I thought about this. Food is very important, but you know what's even more important? Spiritual food. Spiritual food. If we're in God's word, he's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you to cope with stuff. This nice angel feeds him. I wonder what that food was. We talk about our favorite foods. But then we read in verse 8, So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. And in verse 9, And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10 says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. So at this point, Elijah knows who he's talking to. Because that evil queen has torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So all the government of, of, of forces, he feels, are zeroing in on him. And he's running to hide, get out of harm's way. In this very moment, Elijah is, as we see here, terrified. But he's not terrified of God. He's not terrified of God. He's actually saying to God, hey, you just need to kill me. And I'm terrified of that woman and those people... And look at what I've done through your grace to stay the flood of evil. He was a fighter for righteousness. He spoke truth to power, proclaimed the gospel. And look at what I've done through your grace to stay the flood of all this. Look at all the good stuff that has been done that you wanted me to do in fighting this corruption of, in your kingdom and church. Who else is fighting this corruption? It feels like it's just me. It feels like I'm alone. Have you felt this way? Have you felt alone in the cause of doing the right thing? Well, you're not alone. Keep your finger here in the, or bookmark uh, 1 Kings 19, and let's go to Revelation 14 
Revelation 14, verse 7. Revelation chapter 14, last book of the Bible. We're looking at verse 7. Revelation 14, verse 7 says this, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So the context of Revelation 14 is in the setting of the last days where there are these messages that will go to all the world to prepare those who will listen to them for what is coming upon all humanity. These messages are represented by three angels, three angels. Here's the first one, part of it at least. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Interesting message to go to the world. Fear God. Okay, so what in the world? Why should we fear God? What does this mean, this fear? Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. There in the Old Testament there. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's over by Proverbs and Psalms. So if you're wondering where it's at. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're looking at verse 13. Now, when the last time I was up here, I was preaching about uh, the author of this book. You know who that author was, anybody? Who was the author of Ecclesiastes? King Solomon. And uh, God gifted him with tremendous wisdom. And he ended up not staying true to the Lord as he got older. He lived a life of uh, selfishness and self-seeking, and it didn't land him in the place that he thought it would. And he wrote this book about it. And he came with this conclusion. Look at Revelation, I mean, sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look at verse 13, how he ends this. He looks at life, looks at all what life's about, and he says this. Verse 13, let us, fear the, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Did you catch that? What did he say? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. All right, what is this all saying to us? Go to Proverbs chapter 9. I know I have you guys going through your Bibles here, but Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. We're looking at verse 10. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And notice what it says here. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is what? Beginning of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Hmm. So this fear of the Lord is a unique type of fear. It's not the how we normally look at fear, right? We usually look at a negative light, you know, like we saw that spider on the screen by uh, David Ritzenthal. What, what was your feelings when you saw that spider? <laughs> it wasn't like what you probably had when you saw those puppies <laughs> or those kittens. So the Bible is um, an amazing book. It's very good at explaining these things and making them clear to us. So go to Proverbs chapter 8 now. It's the next page to your left. Proverbs chapter 8. And look at verse 13. Proverbs 8, chapter, thir- um, tra- chapter 8, verse 13. And notice what it says here. The fear of the Lord is what? What is the fear of the Lord? To hate evil. Huh. To hate evil. That's the fear of the Lord. Then it goes on to say there, it's not just to hate evil. Hate pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. That's the fear of the Lord right there. 
probably not what you thought about when you probably read in Revelation 14, verse 7, fear, fear God. So this message of God from Solomon and John and others, fear God, Solomon translates it for us. And the calling is to fear God is to hate evil. And how do you determine evil? How do we determine evil? You know, is it the one that has the, the biggest megaphone? Has the most people following them? Well, if you're not following God, that might be one way. But the Bible makes it clear how we determine what evil is through the law. God's law. His moral law. And you know what? You, wouldn't, you won't know if something's leading off the cliff if you don't have a map or a light, right, to show you where that cliff is. Well, the Bible tells us that God's law is a light and a lamp to our feet, trying to keep us from falling off the spiritual cliff. So I think it's very fitting that Elijah, at this point in our story, is in a dark cave. He's in a dark cave. You know, fear at times brings us to a dark spot in our life, does it not? Brings you into a dark place in your life. And here Elijah's in a dark cave. And it may feel like you're alone. No one knows what you're going through. But is Elijah alone here? He's not. Elijah has been, you know, what we see here is a strong bulwark for God, but something is missing here. He's not understanding something. And God wants to reveal it to him. So go to Isaiah 43. We've got a few more passages um, before we get back to our story here in uh, 1 Kings. Isaiah 43, we're looking at. And this is what Isaiah 43 says, verse 1. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. What does it say next? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Okay, so here's a totally different side of the coin. One side says, fear God. And then there is this verse that we just read that's forming the other side of the coin that says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The verse continues, as we uh, see here, for why should we fear him? He has done, what has he done for you? You know, sometimes you get this image of people that you are fearful of. Why? Usually because they're aggressive. They're coming after you. But that's not the type of thing that we see here. It says, fear God. Why? For I have done what? Redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So again, one side of the coin says, don't be afraid, you are mine, but the other side of the coin says, you need to fear God. So how do we reconcile this? Well, go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, it's by the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, we're looking at verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. You probably will be familiar with this passage for some of you. There is no fear in what? In love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So the Bible says here, perfect love casts out how much fear? All fear. All fear. So, there's an equation here we're beginning to notice. Ask yourself today, are there things that you are afraid of? We listed a whole bunch of them at the beginning. 
What is it that may keep you up at night? Maybe wake you up at night. Whatever the fears may be, there are things that grip us and somehow hold, hold on to us. But the Bible tells us here in 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So how do we get that perfect love? Because that's the answer, right? How do we get that perfect love to cast out this fear? I believe it is by looking unto the one who is love, Jesus. Holding on to his promises found in the Bible, by being in his word, and following that word. And most importantly, by getting a hold of to that beautiful picture of God and fixating our minds on his perfect love for us, displayed, on that, displayed in that perfect gift of Christ to us. And realizing that this gift of Christ has given, was given at such an infinite expense for me and for you. If you have a pen, jot down these two passages, if you uh, would like. Uh, John chapter 14, 1 to 3, and Isaiah 41 was our scripture reading, so you already have it in your bulletin there. John 14, 1 to 3, it says this, Let not your heart be what? Troubled. In other words, don't let it be fear-filled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If there were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again. That where I am, there you may be also. So God tells you, don't let the anxieties of this world overcome you, overwhelm you. I'm coming to get you. These things are not going to last forever. And not only that, but he's letting you know he's thinking of you too. He's telling you, I'm making you a place. Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, for I, the Lord your God, will hold you, hold your right hand, saying to you, fear not, I will help you. What a promise that is. What a promise that is. That promise I have highlighted and underlined in my Bible. Something that we need to have committed to memory. So let's look back to our story at Elijah and his fears. Let's see how God deals with Elijah's fear. Here he is in his cave, dark cave. So you're back there in 1 Kings, hopefully. 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, he's fled into this wilderness into a cave. And he has told God that he's alone. He's told God that he's been faithful. He's told God that they have forsaken you. And God's like, yeah, I know all these things already, Elijah. <laughs> so God wants to teach Elijah, Elijah something, to help him understand something about this queen, these corrupt government leaders, and not to be fearful of them. You know, what I find interesting here is that a lot of times in our fear, we sometimes feel like we're alone. No one's listening. No one understands us. But look at what's happening here in Elijah. Is Elijah alone? If you read the story here in 1 Kings 19, who pursues Elijah? It's God. See the angel there in Beersheba, I believe it was, feeds him twice. Who sent that angel? God does. And then he runs again for, you know, to this cave that's in Mount Horeb. And who meets him there? God does. In your darkest moments of your life, you're not alone. God's there. God is there. And look at how he addresses this fear. And God wants you to know, too, that sometimes we can get in these situations where it seems like our fears are uh, made minuscule. God doesn't look at it that way. 
He understands what you're going through. He knows the emotions that we as humans are dealing with. He doesn't take them lightly. He acknowledges them. But he also wants you to know that there's something that can help you with that. Look at verse 11, uh, 1 Kings 19. It says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. You kind of see God saying something to Elijah here. He's pretty much, you know, how I see it is he's saying, hey, Elijah, if you want to be afraid, if you want to be afraid of something, I can scare you. I can do things that can frighten you. You ever been in those crazy windstorms? Have you ever seen any crazy windstorms, straight line winds, trees are coming down around you? Man, this can get really ugly. <laughs> Hope I can live through this, right? And look at God's creating a windstorm, and not only is it taking down trees, it's taking down a mountain. Wouldn't that cause you to be fearful? It's like, ooh. But the interesting thing here is that God's saying something. I am not in that. I'm not into things that fear you. Look at verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God just asked him this question for a second time. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, am, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So God asks him the second time, and Elijah repeats what he said the, uh, the first time. So then in verse 15, notice what happens in verse 15 here of uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Ebel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So what we see here is God's giving Elijah some assurance and says, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, Elisha will kill. Oh, by the way, verse 18, look at this. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. FYI, you feel alone, Elijah? Not so. You're not alone. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not been, who have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. God is saying to Elijah through all this, don't worry. Don't let these fears take you from living life and for the mission I have for you. Everything is under control. I have, I am God, hello. <laughs> Who's the one who called you to all this? And then it says, it is not all lost. Elijah thinks it's all lost. That's what he's thinking. God's saying, no, it's not all lost. I'm not going to let that evil queen, Jezebel, take your life. In fact, I'm going to use you to anoint others in, the, in this fight for my righteous cause. And if there's anyone who threatens your life, I will protect you with my contingency plan. You see how he's, and he's going to use Elijah to lay this contingency plan. He'll anoint this guy, anoint that guy. This guy's going to do this. This guy's going to do that. And oh yeah, go anoint another prophet because your work is going to continue on. It's going to continue on. In other words, we see God is trying to make this known to him through all these things. Again, just to repeat, God's pretty much saying, if you want to be afraid, I can do stuff that can scare you quite. 
I can tear mountains in half. I can send fire and earthquakes. Yet that is not what I'm about. <clears throat> I'm in the silence. I'm when you turn the noise down in life, that is where I'm at. This is why I can see, see God saying to Elijah through all this. I mean, when you turn that noise down, I'm in the silence. Drown out those voices, Elijah, that tell you all is lost. Drown out those voices that you need to be afraid. Drown out those voices. By turning to the peaceful, still, small voice that is in my word. Whispering the assurance. says, I got this. This has not taken me by surprise. In fact, I have the mighty power to take control of that situation that frightens you, Elijah. And the question for us is, do we believe God can do that for us today? Can he take control of the situations in our life that have gotten us petrified? Because I know at times I have struggled to believe God is in control by how all anxious and fearful I can get over this thing and that thing at times. And I believe I'm not alone in that. I think we all are at times like this. It's almost like we are fascinated with the weapons of Goliath. Got this huge enemy. It's like, man, we're shaking in our boots. These formidable obstacles that threaten us, that threaten our comforts, our way of life. The reason why scripture calls us in a sense to fear God is not in the, hopefully you're seeing this, it's not in the be afraid type. I'm God, I'm powerful, I could take you out. That's not the whole, that, that's, that's not the picture at all here. It's in the know that I can do things very powerfully and you should respect that. That's why Solomon and John and others say, fear God. They are saying, look to God and honor him. Because when you fear God, you hate evil. When you fear God, you hate arrogance. You hate pride. You hate selfishness. And when we get into that relationship of fearing God, you start to see things for what they really are. The most scary point is when you start to see things in the mirror for who you really are. You know where you see yourself as powerless, weak, full of faults and shortcomings? And that's where you need the assurances where God says, let my perfect love, let me perfect that love where you know that I love you with an everlasting love. That I lay down my life for you, that I put value on you, and that you should value yourself accordingly. These stories that we read in the Old Testament have lessons for us to remind us that you can get into a pretty bad situation in life. Lose your job, lose a friend, lose a business, lose an asset, lose whatever it may be. And God says, Hi, hey, I'm still here. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. We find another Bible story where there is another crisis moment in Israel's history. Second Chronicles chapter 20, not too far from Second Kings. So Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is now of an upright government official. This is King Jehoshaphat, not like King Ahab, who is pleading out to God for help because Israel, Israel, Judah, is surrounded by a very great multitude of armed forces. From three 
powerful, ruthless nations, Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir. Notice 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazan Tamar, which is in Engedi. So right here we see Judah is surrounded, and notice what emotion King Jehoshaphat is feeling here. Notice what emotion he's feeling here. In verse 3, and and Jehoshaphat what? Feared. He feared. He was full of fear just like that of Elijah, right? Full of fear just like that of Elijah. But notice how he responds to his fear. Notice how he responds to his fear. This is big. Don't miss it. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to do what? To seek the Lord. He didn't just do that. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. And in verse 4, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to do what? What did all the people do here? To seek the Lord. I think what we just read here is the key to facing your fear and my fear. When we realize that we are powerless, we can do nothing about what we're facing, what is God saying to us? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And not just seek him, you know, happenstance, but whole with the whole heart, with the whole heart. Notice the Israelites cry out in verse 12. You know, by the way, from verse 5, all I want to verse 12 is prayer. Great multitudes surrounding them, they're praying. It's a powerful prayer. I would encourage you to read that on your own. But look at verse 12 of Second Chronicles 20. It says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you. This is what Elijah should have done in that great fearful moment of his life. Lord, he should have said, I don't have power, any power against this evil queen. Do something for me. And God would have done something just like he did at Mount Carmel. We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Let me say that again for the times that we are living in. We that is, you and I, we here in 2021, have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. As I started out my message with the greatest fear in America being corrupt government officials, I will end it on this very point. Like that of Elijah and the fears and concerns he had for the corrupt government officials running and ruining the God-founded nation of Israel. So we are experiencing in our day in this nation of the United States of America, the same scenario. There are many throughout this nation and our world who share Elijah's fears and concerns of corrupt government officials running and ruining their nation, and we have that here in America, this nation, that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. With the encroachment of socialist, communist principles that are flooding and threatening to destroy our constitutional rights, our free markets, our religious liberty, think Jerry Finneman did a good job of sharing the unintended consequences of the Protestant Reformation. 
How many of you guys were here for that message? You guys remember that message that Jerry preached? It feels like there is nothing that can be done to stop this. You know what? You're right. If you look at Revelation 13, for what it says about our nation, it says, I saw a week ago in the news of a bill in the Congress, you guys might have heard of this, a bill in the Congress trying to redefine gender of being male or female to whatever one may choose. I think it was H.R. 5, Equality Act. In the debate of this bill on the U.S. Congress floor, one congressman gave a speech that defended traditional biblical norms on gender, marriage, and the family. He also talked about the ramifications of this bill's acceptance made into law, what that would do to sports, jobs, and institutions, and that which it was trying to keep from happening discrimination would, in fact, cause discrimination of other groups. And he spoke... And and as he spoke, he got done sharing his remarks, and another congressman, a prominent one, said this, I'm quoting, what any religious institution describes as to God's will is of no concern in this Congress. Interesting. That should cause us great concern. When God is abandoned, and we see this in stories of the Bible, what happens to a nation? Does it continue to be prosperous? No, it loses its prosperity. It becomes abusive. It hurts its peoples. This should really concern us when we got people in our own nation saying these things. Again, the times we live in can certainly feel like that which King Jehoshaphat prayed. You know, we're not living in a bubble here. We know what's happened these last year in 2020. Who would have thought that all our rights would be kind of set aside? Who would have thought that free speech would be under attack? Who would have thought that whatever political view you have you could be attacked and purged and be canceled out. Who would have thought that? The times we live in can certainly feel like that of King Jehoshaphat, where he prayed, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. More than ever in my life, I think we need to say that prayer every single day. If you believe the writings of Scripture, especially with what we know Scripture says about our nation and Bible prophecy in the United States, like a dragon... It's going to start speaking like a dragon by undoing its religious and civil liberties. This verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12 needs to be echoed and re-echoed. Lord, we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Where the powers that be in our government and educational institutions is lumping every unique contrarian belief system that, is going, that goes against mainstream political correct narrative into one camp, and if you're guilty of one sentiment that goes against the mainstream narrative, you're guilty of them all. If you and I hold on to what the Bible teaches regarding marriage, family, gender, morality, whatever the Bible is, if you're you're making the Bible the authority of your life, you will cease to be with the majority in the days ahead. I am so grateful, though, in the stories in the Bible that brings to our attention that the majority is never on the right side of history. Just look at the majority and throughout the Bible. I believe we should prize ourselves when we think differently than the majority. We should actually be alarmed when we agree with the majority. God's people are always in the minority. I want to encourage you, don't fall into the peer pressure of today. Everybody is doing this. Everybody believes this. You should do this and believe this as well, because why would you think any different than the majority? This type of peer pressure is what led Israel of old to become idolaters in the days of Elijah. And it's the same type of pressure upon you and me today. You know, friends, I think the greatest fear, we're talking about fear here, that Satan works on you and me is 
not to be different than the crowd. I think that's going to become more and more acute and pronounced. My message in regards to this is, who cares about what everybody is doing? What matters is what does God think of you? What matters is what does God believe about you? What matters is what has God done for you? What matters is what is God doing for you now, and what is he doing to prepare you to leave this corrupt world and be a part of a new heaven, a new earth, where righteousness reigns? That's what matters. So back to our story. King Jehoshaphat and his people are completely surrounded, and they're praying and fasting. It says in verse 13, Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Look at this. It's like a family thing. You know, they're coming before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came, comes upon one of these guys with a really difficult name to pronounce. And he says in verse 15, Listen, all you Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, I love this, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them, then they will surely come up against the ascent of Zee, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. It's interesting here. Notice what it says. Then it says the most fascinating thing in the next verse. Verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Isn't that comforting to know that? Do you know the story, what happens when you read this here in 2 Chronicles? They go out with singing, actually, to this battle. They go out with singing, and by the time they get to the battle, these people, these enemies of Jehoshaphat and of Judah are hearing this, but they're mistaking it not as song, but as something else. And I like what is, is done here. Their fear is pretty much taken from them and given to their enemies. God sends fear upon Israel's enemies and they turn on each other. That's what happens when you see there. In that story, Israel does not have to fight at all. God takes care of the problem. By the time they get there, their bodies are all strewn right, right there, and they have nothing to do but to take up the spoil. We can strategize. We can think about all these ways in which we can defeat the enemies around us, you know, your fear or whatever. But at the end of the day, God is saying, go get on your knees and say, Lord, we are surrounded by a multitude and we have no power. And better yet, if you have family members, get on your knees with them and pray that prayer. Please help and save us. And God will. God will answer that prayer. And if we will look to him and if we have that relationship with him as the world around us may pressure us to do anything that you can imagine, God has promised, hey, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You don't have to be afraid of the world if you're in this relationship with me. And you know what? I can do it. Jehoshaphat says something powerful in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In this world today, we can see a lot of reasons to not know what to do, to despair. But we should direct our eyes unto the Lord. Does God care about your fear? Did he care about Elijah's fear? Did he care about Jehoshaphat's fear? 
Will he, will, will he care about yours? He will. He will. And what should be the response when we get in that paralyzed moment of petrification over a certain fear? Seek the Lord with all your hearts. Seek the Lord with all your heart. I believe we need to do that more than ever. More than ever. We should not neglect that family worship. If we have kids, we should not neglect our daily devotions and our time with God and his word. That's the most vital thing we can be doing in this time of earth's history. I want to encourage you. Things are going to get rough. We're going to get more turbulent. Jesus tells us these things in the Bible. But seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. He's our only hope. Seek the Lord. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He'll provide for what you need at that hour you need it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now because there are fears that abound. Maybe some of us are not even experiencing any fears right now. Maybe life is good. But some of us are right now experiencing fear, Lord. We're wondering what the, what the future may hold. May wonder, do I have enough money for the future? Maybe wondering about a certain family situation. But you know it all. You're not aloof. In fact, you feel our fears, and you're there in the midst of our fears. But you're letting us know, Lord, that you got this. These things are not out of your control. You've assured us, Lord, you're coming again, and you're going to bring all these things that sin and evil has taken from us, Lord, you're going to replace it with all that is good. And that's going to be happening one day soon. And I believe that day is very near our day. So Lord, help us to seek you more than ever. Help us to seek you with all of our hearts. In Bible study, our own personal reading of your word and prayer, because that's where the answer lies of experiencing this perfect love that casts out all fear. That will give us the strength to stand like Daniel did when his friends were threatened. You better do this or else. And they go, you know, we know our God too much. We love him too much. We know his power. We're not going to bow down to your statue because we know our God can deliver us. He has the power to do it. And even if he doesn't do it, we're still not going to bow down to your statue. What a faith. What a fearlessness that those guys had, Lord. And in the midst of their trial of fear, Lord, you were with them in the fire. You delivered them. And Lord, you're going to do the same for us as we seek your face. So we thank you for hearing our prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Does uh, Just when I need him most, 512, 512. Just when I need him most.
Father, we thank you, Lord, for such a hymn as that, Lord, just when we need you most, when we're burdened, when we're fear, we're thankful, Lord, that we have you to call upon. And I want to just uh, end with this benediction from out of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Thank you for that promise, Lord.